so today I want to continue uh, and I want to build on Micah's great message last Sunday and if you've got first chronicles chapter 29 i want to ask you to stand one more time we're going to make our confession over the word remember when you're at church services get the word don't sleep don't sleep through church your time is too valuable you should have stayed home don't sleep through church but get the word get it on the inside of you and speak it hold your bible in your hands say this after me i thank you father that your word has the power to change my life today I give heed to it I allow it to go into my ears then into my mind then into my spirit I'm a hearer of the word and a doer of the word and I'll never be the same after today in Jesus name amen you may be seated second chronicles first chronicles chapter 29 then King David turned to the entire assembly. And we're talking today about building the temple at Jerusalem. And he said, my son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him of building the temple is enormous. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, it's for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, <clears throat> and I want you to, I want you to get that, he said, because of my devotion to the temple of God, he didn't say, because I'm rich, because I'm a show-off, just because I can. He said, I'm devoted to the house of God. And because I'm devoted to the house of God, I'm giving all of my own personal private treasure of gold and silver to help in the construction. David is giving everything he has this is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for the temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold, 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Y'all need to relax. Everybody's so nervous by me reading this. Everybody relax. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna come down there and ask people for money. I wanna, I wanna teach, can I just teach you something today? Can we do a little, I mean, we're just gonna do some study here in the Word. Is that all right? Hope you brought your Bible because we're gonna study a little bit. Then the family leaders. Everybody say the family leaders. Men. Then the family leaders, as well as the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers, all gave willingly for the construction of the temple of God. They gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. This is our goal for the Grace Initiative right there. <laughs> lighten up a little bit 
They also contributed numerous precious stones of which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehael, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord and King David was filled with joy. So this is the offering that they received from and everybody participated in this offering the family leaders all the families of Israel were included in this the family leaders represented the families so uh, so everybody was involved including the families of Israel now if you go to Second Chronicles chapter 3 now David passes away and now it's Solomon's time to step up to the plate and build and it says Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem this is second chronicles chapter 3 verse 1 uh the house of the Lord actually the if you're following on the app it says uh second Samuel and that's wrong and that was my mistake it's second chronicles chapter uh, 3 Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite and he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign so Solomon begins the temple and then if you go over to first chronicles chapter or second chronicles chapter 5 uh, two chapters over the it says that all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated the silver and the gold and all the furnishings and he put them in the treasury of the house of God now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes of the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David which is Zion and the ark of the covenant always represents the presence of God in the Old Testament therefore all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast which was in the seventh month and all the elders of Israel came and the Levites took up the ark then they brought up the ark of the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle the priests and the Levites brought them up also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for the multitude then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim so now we see that the the temple is complete it's set up and there and the final thing that needs to be done is bringing the ark of the covenant into the temple now if we go over to second chronicles chapter 7 verse 1 y'all okay second chronicles chapter 7 verse 1 when Solomon had finished praying fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple then the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying for he is good and his mercy endures forever now I want you to imagine being there and seeing that. I want you to imagine you and your spouse if you're married and your kids if you have kids 
all around you and you're standing there and you're looking at the temple and you're seeing the glory of God come down on this temple the cloud that just if you weren't inside you could see the the remnants of the cloud on the outside of the temple what's going on over there in the fire of God and what an awesome amazing experience this was for you and your family wow are you imagining stay with me okay everybody close your eyes and imagine some of you have checked out already we got a ways to go imagine I want you to imagine what an amazing sight that is and you're there with your family imagine now now you can open your eyes and look at me imagine seeing this and realizing that you and your family helped build that before it was built there was no glory cloud in the street the fire was not coming down from heaven in the street there was something significant about building the house of God and when they built the house of God to God's specifications and they stood back and they were looking at it amazing God's presence manifested in such a powerful way and they helped build that look at what God used us to do now I'm not talking about worshiping a building absolutely not but it's the satisfaction of the results of our obedience let me ask you a question you ever obeyed God did it ever turn out good did you ever stand back and go I'm so glad I obeyed God that's what happened here I really believe that people are going back and saying you know we could have held on to our stuff but we were obedient all the heads of the families got their families together okay okay honey okay kids we're gonna give this we're gonna sacrifice for the building of the temple and it's standing back and it's not worshiping a building it's not worshiping a place but it's just the satisfaction of knowing we obeyed God and look what happened when we obeyed him now Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon destroyed this temple in 587 BC but then in 538 BC another pagan king King Cyrus of Persia actually gets a vision for the temple being rebuilt for the Israelites. In Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 1, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah, and he stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and send it through his kingdom. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. You see, uh, the king of Persia, Cyrus, had actually conquered the Babylonians and inherited everything that they had. They even had all the articles from the temple that they had stolen from the temple. And now God is moving on the heart of Cyrus. Cyrus said, He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And then he says to the Israelites, Any of you who are his people may go into Jerusalem in Judah and rebuild the temple of the Lord God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. And so 
Israelites all volunteer and they all go to Jerusalem to rebuild this original temple that Solomon had built and saw and actually verse I think it's verse 10 or verse 11 says as Cyrus directed the treasurer of Persia to get all the items that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the temple and give them to the Israelites to take back and put in the temple and there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver and they took them all back and they rebuilt the temple so the people of God they go back and rebuild this temple again so that the power of God can again be manifested and he can be glorified everybody still with me so now I want to shift gears for a second and I want to answer this question what happened to these Jewish people and leaders that built and paid for the temple when they died so they built the temple paid for the temple had it built stood back saw the glory of God and then years later some go back and actually rebuild the temple actually when you when you do the math you find out that some of the Israelites who went back to rebuild the temple were alive when the first temple was built they saw both of those events they went back and rebuilt it so when they died what happened to them I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16 and in Luke chapter 16 Jesus is teaching a parable but it reveals something about heaven something about hell and something about what happened to people when they died in Luke chapter 16 verse 19 Jesus tells this parable there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table moreover the dogs came and licked his sores so it was when the beggar died he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried and he was tormented in hell. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now there's more to that parable than Jesus teaches, but I want to stop right there and I want to talk about Abraham's bosom for just a moment. When people died in the Old Testament, they didn't go to heaven. Jesus had not died yet and his blood had not been shed for mankind. So there was a place, Jesus is revealing from this parable, that there was a place in the depths of the earth. There was hell and then there was a place called Abraham's bosom and in Abraham's bosom uh, they could actually uh, according to this parable people in hell could actually see people in Abraham's bosom and that was the place that was reserved for, for people who had died looking forward to the coming of the Messiah you with me so far and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 Paul talks about what happened when Jesus died between the time he died on the cross and the time he was resurrected it says in Ephesians 4 7 but to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift therefore he says when Christ ascended on high he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men now this he ascended 
what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended into the lower parts of the earth is the one who also ascended into heaven and he also took captivity captive with him into heaven that he might fill all things this is a quote from psalm chapter 68 verse 18 and then I want to remind you about Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 where Jesus says I am he who lives and was dead and behold I'm alive forevermore amen and I have the keys of Hades and of death. So what this means is that when people died in the Old Testament, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom and they were there. And when Jesus died on the cross, the first thing he did was go to the lower parts of the earth with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he set those captives in Abraham's bosom free because now his blood had been shed for their sins and he took them captive with him and took them to heaven to be with him. Now, what does this have to do with the temple and why do we care about this? Because Hebrews chapter 12, and I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, the Starbucks chapter. He brews or whatever brand of coffee. I happen to like Illy myself, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so this passage, Hebrews 12, 1, is talking about a cloud of witnesses. Who is this cloud of witnesses? Paul is saying, we need to watch what we do and we need to be sure that sin is not tripping us up and that we need to continue to run the race because we have a cloud of witnesses. Really? Somebody's watching us. Who's that? Verse 12 begins with the word therefore, which means it's tied to the chapter before it. So when you read Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all of the patriarchs and all of the people of the Old Testament who paved the way for the New Testament to become real. You've got uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, and you know we could preach on Hebrews 11 for weeks about faith now faith is the substance of things not seen etc but in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 it talks about Abel offering a better sacrifice and uh, verse 7 Noah verse 8 talks about Abraham verse 11 talks about Sarah and you can go through here uh, verse 17 then talks about Abraham 18 Isaac verse 20 uh, is Jacob at 21 verse 22 Joseph verse 23 Moses so then you get to verse 30 and uh, um, it's talking about uh, verse 31 even a harlot Rahab we've been out of prostitute is one of our witnesses and then uh, it's talking about all these different people and uh, and then in verse 32 it's Paul kind of says look I can't list everybody 
verse 32 he says what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets and all these guys who, whose faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword out of weaknesses were made strong became valiant in battle turned to flight the armies of the aliens women received their dead raised to life again and so he talks about all the amazing things that happened in the Old Testament but I want you to I want to point you to just a couple of words in verse 33 I want you to look at verse 33 with me because he says who through faith subdued kingdoms now when you look back through the Old Testament not everybody stopped the mouth of lions those are the ones we hear about but I want you to look at two words who through faith subdued kingdoms and then worked righteousness so okay so you weren't sawn in two and you weren't fed to lions and you didn't, you didn't go through that but included in this great cloud of witnesses are people who worked righteousness that means that they were obedient to God and they did what God called them to do so no they don't have a great testimony uh, like we like to think you know one time I was a drug addict and I, was, I did this and I was an axe murderer and I did all these things and then Jesus saved me in prison and now I'm traveling around giving my testimony those are wonderful and we like those some of us think that we don't have a testimony if I ask you to give your come up on the platform and give your testimony wow that'd be boring I was 18 years old and I was in a church service and I came up and I gave my life to Christ and that's it but this says that if somebody worked righteousness if somebody was just obedient to God, if somebody just stood up and said, I'll do what God wants me to do, then they became, in the Old Testament, a part of that great cloud of witnesses who is watching us. Now I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Is this the weirdest message you ever heard or what? We're talking about the tabernacle, I mean the temple. Now we're talking about what happens to people when they die in the Old Testament. I'm going to bring this all together right now. Would you look with me at Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. We got that picture up there. There is a picture of a depiction of what Solomon's porch looked like. You had the temple, you had the Holy of Holies, then you had the holy place, then you had the inner court, then you had the outer court, and you had to be uh, an Israelite to be in any of those places. So they had, outside of that, they had a place called Solomon's Porch. And at Solomon's Porch, anybody could come there. You could be Jewish, you could be a Gentile, but anybody could worship there. And this is where the New Testament church was birthed. This is where the New Testament church met. The Bible says they met here every single day. At Acts chapter 5, verse 12, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch I see you're fascinated you will be in a minute Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 47 is anybody familiar with that passage of scripture 
because that's the vision of this church. In Acts 2, 41 through 47, occurred, all this stuff occurred in Solomon's porch. It occurred right here. Acts chapter 2, verses 41. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And a sense of awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. That's here, right there, Solomon's porch. And breaking bread from house to house. They did that as well. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Take a deep breath. Because when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple, back in 500 and some odd BC, 587 I think BC, scholars have just discovered through their research that there were two areas that Nebuchadnezzar did not destroy. One was the Eastern Wall. The other one was Solomon's Porch. This Solomon's porch where the New Testament church worshipped was actually the Solomon's porch that was built originally by Solomon. So the, per, the church is birthed and growing and miracles are happening and the gospel is being preached and the great cloud of witnesses who built this place are cheering them on. And just like they stood there with their wives and their kids and they saw the glory of God and the fire of God come down on the temple that they had built and no, they weren't worshiping a place, but they were thinking, look at what our obedience did and how God manifested himself with our obedience. Now they're doing it again. The great cloud of witnesses is watching everything that's taking place at Solomon's porch at this place and they're saying, we built that place. Oh, you people are boring. <laughs> they have more excitement now than they did when they saw the fire of God come down because now they're seeing something that even the temple couldn't do. People could not receive Christ. People, the blood of Jesus did not wash away people's sins in the temple. And it's amazing as when I'm talking about the temple and you're going, oh, just to be there and to be able to see the fire of God and the glory of cloud, that must have been amazing. But these people that are cheering them on, are they're much more enamored with this. They're much more excited about this because people are making decisions to follow Christ and the blood of Jesus is washing away people's sins and they built it. You know, if I hear one more person say there is no place in the New Testament where people built buildings. I had one person tell me that. It's been several years ago and uh, somebody tell you know I'm not really I'm not given to help build the, the upgrade project because that's not a New Testament concept they didn't build buildings in the New Testament sure they did they just didn't wait till the last minute to do it they built it years before knowing the Holy Spirit had them do that knowing that the New Testament church was going to be birthed and they were going to need a big big place to meet see if we'd built it we would have built it to seat 500 people God had them build it 500 years earlier, big enough to seat to uh, seat thousands. Yeah. 
to accommodate thousands of people. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, we have a great cloud of witnesses. These same people, this great cloud of witnesses, we have the same great cloud of witnesses and they are watching to see what we do I'm going to freak some of you out right now. They are waiting and watching to see what we do with the Grace Initiative in 2019. Some of you are thinking, aren't you being a little overdramatic? I mean, we're talking about the temple, and now you're talking about putting some carpet and some paint in the children's ministry area. And there's a great cloud of witnesses that's watching to see if we do that. You can't minimize when eternal lives are at stake. When children's lives, eternal lives are at stake, man, well, I mean, we're, we're, we want to be sure that our kids have the best tennis shoes, probably not Nikes, but we want to be sure that they have the best shoes. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't resist that. We want to be sure that they go to the best schools and they get the best education and we brag about our kids and where they're going to go to college and we brag about their sports uh, accomplishments and all that. And that's all great. I'm all for that. But what about their eternal destiny? We'll give $200 for a pair of sneakers and won't give $200 to build the house of God where our kids can grow up and know who God is and have a relationship with him. Our, our, our priorities are warped. I'm not being overdramatic. Families and marriages are under severe attack. I don't know if anybody knows that or not. And we're building the house of God and we're building a place where marriages and families can be healed and grow up and children can grow up to be warriors. Children's can, children can grow up to be arrows in the hands of their parents who are warriors in the house of God. Do you know that 80% of those who make decisions to follow Christ do, do so before age 18? Micah did an amazing job last week outlining the Grace Initiative and the impact it will make in people's lives. I'm not going to re-preach or re-communicate what he did already. I'm just going to ask you the same question that David asked. Who will, David asked, David said, here's what I've done. Who will follow my example? So I'm asking you, who will follow our example? Micah and Melissa, Steve and Connie, our staff, our elders, we're all asking you the same thing. Who will follow our example and build the house of God? And build a house of God for generations. I want you to stand with me, please. In your seat, there's a magazine with Grace Initiative. For those of you with short attention spans, we put lots of pictures in this. <laughs> that would be me, by the way. I'm always looking at the pictures before I read the text. You got this in your seat, and there's a card that looks like this. I want to ask you to treat this seriously. Connie and I are praying, asking the Holy Spirit what 
we're going to do with this, how we're going to do it. We're not going to ask, and watch this, watch this. We're not asking if we should do this. We're asking what we should do. I said, we're not asking, Lord, should we do this? Because this is the house of God. This is where we're connected. This is where our souls are knit together with yours. We're not asking if we should. We're asking, what do you want us to do? And I want to ask you to do the same thing. Would you please stretch out your hand toward this card? Father, I want to thank you for this great church. Everybody wants to go to a great church, but not everybody wants to contribute so that their church can be great. I thank you for this church and everybody whose heart is connected with the vision here. And now we have an opportunity to do something great to affect the lives of people outside. Forgive us for the times that we've minimized the effect that a building can have in the lives of people. Thank you for the vision that we have for architectural evangelism, that people are connected at a building, not to a building, but at a building. People are connected to each other and to you. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to connect us with this grace initiative. I ask you to speak clearly to people. I ask you to inspire us, not just to figure out what we can comfortably do, but ask you, God, that you would inspire us to reach past that with our faith. To be able to build something great, do something great that you can use to affect the lives of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.